My name is Erica Hampton. And my name is Mike Ames. You are listening to audio recording 006 from the Bureau of Creative Works. A short film experiment premiering an audience-funded original short film by a new independent filmmaker each month. This podcast will document in real time the cultural and conversational shift around short films and the people behind them. So the last we left off, we had just finished our Kickstarter that successfully funded 12 short films, 12 micro-budget short films. After that, we spent the next several months going through the submissions to fill the last two spots, the last two filmmaker spots. Out of those submissions, we picked two filmmakers to join the inaugural year of the Bureau. Uh, And those two filmmakers were Xavier Bergen and Melissa Fitzsimmons. This podcast is all about Melissa. It was her film that premiered three days ago in the Bureau, July 10th, and you were the first one that saw Melissa's work. Yeah, I was. I watched her submission first. She shared a couple of her short films. Uh, One of them was Mercy. Um, The other was Long Way Home. The other was First Love. I was instantly, instantly a huge fan. Which one was the first one you clicked on? I don't remember the first one I clicked on. I think it was Mercy. I love Mercy. That was the first one I saw. The opening shot, I was like, I like this filmmaker. Who is this? Uh I love uh, the casting. I thought it was perfect. I love the set design. The set design I was so excited about. (laughs) (laughs) That's, yeah. Every shot tells you So so many things, and every shot is so perfect. And... The story is, it it doesn't go where you think it's going to go, and I just was a fan right away. And so I was really excited that when I was, that when we wrote and was like, hey, we'd love for you to be one of our filmmakers, that she said yes. I really like Melissa's work. I really like anything that she does. She happens to be a really nice person, too. So that helps. And <laughs> just being a new fan of, of hers and, and her work and then to be able to be on set to see how hard she worked and how she was able to pull this together and, and, and make this film that she wanted, it was, it was really exciting. So we wanted to do something a little bit different for this podcast. We asked one of our other filmmakers, Oakley Anderson Moore, if she would host the podcast with Melissa about Melissa's short film, that party that one night if you haven't watched it you should because it's great and we're really excited to share it it's a really interesting conversation i hope you enjoy it so melissa one reason i'm excited to talk to you first in the lineup of all the bureau films that are going to come out is because you have a background in making short films you know the filmmakers for the bureau it's what's so cool is that there's people from all kinds of backgrounds have done all kinds of projects but I know you've done like at least three short films. I saw on IMDb you have like writing credits for five short films. So you're familiar with the world of the short. I think so. I hope so. Good. Probably actually not as much as I'm, it's led to believe. <laughs> well, that's what I'm going with. So what <laughs> People look at short films in different ways. Some people see it as something to make like as a calling card or to get a feature. But short films can be their own piece of art that's a short story that fits the short format. What's your philosophy? I mean, I can't speak to everybody else, but for me personally, I use short films as a, a learning tool. Um, I don't have an education in film. I didn't go to school for it. I didn't go to college for it. I'm self-taught, and I'm pretty much um, very stubborn. So if I wanted to do something, I had to do it myself, and I had to learn it myself. So 
my background in short films, which actually my background is actually in documentaries. I've only been doing short films for two years. I think with every new one I do, I'm learning something more and I do want to make that transition to feature. And so for me, I need to feel comfortable with what I'm doing and I need to know every aspect of what I'm doing in order for me to make that next jump. So I actually really like short films. I enjoy watching them. I enjoy watching them like on a big screen, not just on my phone or something like that. I think it's incredibly hard to do a short film and to do it right means that that person clearly knows what they're doing, has a vision, has a story to tell, and is super talented to be able to pull it off in a short film. Not a lot of people do that. I mean, we've all been to enough festivals where there's a lot of good short films and there's a lot, there's even more bad short films, but there are very few great short films. You know, I wish that they would bring short films back and play them before movies, actually. I think it's great. I mean, I I love that animation does that, so why can't features? So when you talk about a great short, so for example, That Party, That One Night, that's the title of your bureau short. How did you decide, like, this is the short and this story, I mean, how did the story and the short format meet each other in this process? So That Party, That One Night is actually, um, it's a proof of concept. I actually am working on a feature for it and it started out as a feature idea. Um, It's actually based on me and my friends in high school. and. Um, I remember thinking, like, I can do this feature, I can do this feature. And as I sat down trying to write it, I, I, I'm not a screenwriter. I'm a terrible writer, actually. <laughs> and so I was only getting up to a certain amount of pages. And so I took a step back and I said, if I can just go moment by moment, if I can write these moments by moments, then eventually maybe I'll have a feature. And one of the moments that I wanted to write about was this party that I went to one night in high school. A lot of my short film ideas come in together in the shower because, you know, California is in this drought, so showers are, can only be so long. <laughs> so if I can come up with an idea, like by the time I've done taking a shower, I feel like I've succeeded. And so I literally was in the shower and I thought, oh, I remember that party that one night this happened. I should put that in the feature. But then when I got out of the shower, I completely sat down and I wrote it in one day. I wrote just 10 pages in one day. And then I put it aside. And then I wrote another scene, 10 more pages. But I kept coming back to this one because it felt to me the one that had a beginning, middle, and end. And I thought, maybe I'll do a proof of concept. I sent it out to a friend of mine, Leonora, and I said, what do you think about this for an idea? And she wrote back that she loved it. She gave me great positive feedback. And I just kept continuing writing it. And it's probably the most I've ever written for a short film script. The more I tried to make it into the film, the less authentic it was. But the more I actually just kept using my, the real night that happened and the authentic dialogue that was happening between me and my friends, it actually felt m- more and more you know, real because it was real, because it was based on me and I, and I didn't want to back away from that. And then you know, the Bureau came along and they we're like, hey, we're going to give you some money to do this. And I didn't actually have you're a like, You're going to give me money? <laughs> well, this was never written that for never the happens. Bureau. <laughs> I know. This was never written for the Bureau. I actually had submitted a different idea. Oh. And then that idea became developed into a different feature that I'm trying to get made. And so I didn't actually have an idea for the Bureau. And they said, you know, do what you need to do. And 
when I don't need an idea, all I have is ideas. Mm -hmm. But when I need one, I couldn't figure out one. And I had this other idea, yeah. and then a few friends were like, that's, that's great, but if you want this done by June, you can't do it. And so uh, a friend of mine was like, what about that one script that you wrote? And I said, oh, that's not a, that's not a micro budget short film. That needs to be perfect. It has to be perfect. It's my mm -hmm. proof of concept for this feature. And I need it to be perfect. And then everyone's like, yeah, but it is. And it's ready now. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I can't do it. And then another friend, my friend Jeff Zinn, who is a filmmaker himself, whose opinion is like very important to me and whose work I respect. And just as a person, he's like a great friend. And he was like, yeah, you should do that. And so I was like, OK, well, if Jeff says I can do it, then I can totally do it. <laughs> Two weeks later, I was doing it. <laughs> so how important would you say is it to have feedback from people whose opinion you respect? Well, when I'm writing something or when I have something, I send it out to very few people. And I try to go across the board and gender and ages to see if it kind of resonates with everybody. But I send it out to very few people. And the people you know, I send it to are, they're good at what they do, and they're good at their jobs, and their, their, their creativity is what inspires me and mentors me. So I want to make sure, I'm basically just trying to impress them. I just want them to think I'm as cool as they are. <laughs> and also, I think it's very important, at least for me, to give my work to people who are not going to just say, no, you did a really good job. I really like it. That's not beneficial for me. I need, especially in the beginning stages, I actually don't need things to be sugar-coated. I need real honesty. You know, My husband's one of those people. If he doesn't like something, he tells me he doesn't like it. He actually doesn't really like a lot of the things I do. So for him, when he read this, he was like, this is the best thing that you've written. You need to do this. That was important for me to hear, and it gave me the confidence to move forward with it. But I think it's very important for those, especially the beginning stages, to trust the people that you're sending it to that they're going to be honest with you back. Otherwise, they're, they're wasting my time. They're wasting. I'm wasting their time, and then I'm going to end up wasting other people's time and money. And I, I find that you know, pretty crappy. So I've actually got a copy of your script in front of me oh for people listening home. The script is 13 pages. Yeah. And I think the short is about 14 minutes or so. Yeah. Um, and you were talking about this is the most you've ever written. Yeah. What, how many pages <laughs> does the script start? And, you know, because you're talking about proof of concept, but then also knowing beginning, middle, end. I mean, how... And I'm probably asking because I still have to finish my script for the bureau. <laughs> like so I'm like, said, how I'm did you know when it was done? <laughs> I, ha I struggle with writing a lot. Um, I'm a pretty wordy person, and I'm a visual person. And wor I, by wordy, I mean I talk a lot. My husband's constantly going, yeah, wrap up the story, wrap up the story. <laughs> but I'm a visual person, so I, it's hard for me to translate into words on a script what I see in my head. So I tend to overwrite everything. So. Um, I've tried to compensate that by not writing at all. Hmm. And so in the past, my scripts have been just really skeleton outlines and hmm. then just working with the actors. Like doing more improvisational. Yeah. I think the longest it was was 16 pages. And I had learned from mistakes, like I said, with every film I'm learning. I'm not really known for my short shorts. Let's put it that way. <laughs> and so I really made an effort on this one to trim and keep trimming and keep trimming because I didn't want to get feedback from festivals like 
and say, we really loved your film, but it was too long for us to program, mm -hmm. which has yeah. been uh, something I've heard quite a lot in the last couple of years with my other films. And so, because I, I actually want people to see this one. I don't necessarily <laughs> care about, about the other ones. No, that's not true. <laughs> so. You know, when we were talking earlier about short films that are great and short films that are good, and I feel like there's one, there's two types of, like there's a defining factor. And one of those things is how serious and committed the believability of the performances. Because I feel like there's just two types. There's ones that are kind of good, but like, you know, it's so hard with the short. You see a lot of shorts, which just like don't quite, like you just don't quite believe it, or the actors are just not quite there. I mean, it's a lot more rare that you see performances in a short that, uh, you know, really work. And I think that's probably something that you excel at. It's, you know, it seems from your work, and that one, Party That One Night, is a great example. Well, These you. really committed, you know, performances that you've gotten from your actors. So you need to tell me how you did that. <laughs> it's not me, it's all them. I actually have worked with Melanie before. She was in another short, which coincidentally, she played me, so. It's called My First, My first Love. Love. That's yes. right, I recognize her. <laughs> yeah, and, I, and you'll have to tell us about that too. Is there a reason that you work with the same actors? Is that a benefit? Is that part of the success? I, I just liked Melanie. She's great. Sure. I've worked with uh, Daniel Ahern on on a few projects as well and I love he's so committed and he's so good at it and he is open for anything and he and I have a really good collaborative relationship where we don't I don't tell him what I need I just ask the right questions and kind of let him get get to where I need him to be he's he's great I think everyone should cast Daniel in something uh, Melanie was the is different She's, she's younger and she basically said, I want you to direct me. So it was a different experience working with Melanie than somebody say like Daniel. So, you know, I had worked with Melanie. She came in to audition for My First Love, which was this, probably the shortest thing I've ever done. It was like three minutes. This short film where she gets dumped by her boyfriend on Christmas Eve and the reason why, and you can see it online, I don't want to give it away. It is is happened to me in real life, and in hindsight, it's funny. But at the time, I was devastated. But but uh, she came in for her audition, and the guy that was reading with the actors, the actresses that came in, is a really good friend of mine. And he actually knew the story. He went to high school with me. He knew all the people involved, and I had known him since I was fourteen. And she came in. She was the last person. She was late. She came in. And we didn't really audition her, we just kind of talked to her and then she read the lines and then she walked out. And then she came back because she forgot her keys and then she walked out and then she came back because she forgot her bag and then she walked out and then she came back because she forgot her sunglasses. And she left like the third time and I turned to my friend Zane and I went, what do you think? And he went, I've never seen anyone that's so you in my life. If you don't cast her, you're making a big mistake. And it's exactly what I thought. There was just something about her, that rem her awkwardness that reminded me of how I was in high school. And so, and she was up for anything when we were making the short and she was really sweet. She was really sweet and she was young and she was believable as a high school kid. So when I had wrote that party that one night, I had thought, do I wanna have her play me again? And I wasn't sure actually. And so I thought maybe I'll go with a whole new person and see where I am because this was, a, this was more serious than comedy, I guess. And so I wasn't sure where Melanie was. Also, she was away out of town for a really long time. Um, she was in, a, in the Steppenwolf Theater play, and she was, and so 
she came back and I said, hey, I've written this script. Would you want to read it? And I thought, maybe if anything, what I'll do is I'll have a table read and see if even it works, the words worked. And she just wrote back, she's like, I'm in whatever you need me to do. I don't care, I'm playing you, right? And I was, <laughs> she just was like, not gonna take no for an answer. And so she's great. She's very, um, she's very goofy and she's very awkward and she's very quirky. And some of those words that everyone used to describe her were the exact words that were used to describe me in high school at, when I was like 16, 17, 18. I got a lot of quirky, weird, unique, and she was like that. And she is like this total nerd, but in the best sense, just like I was, we have a lot of things in common. And, um, and actually, she's just really good at what, she's a really good actress. And so I knew like, if I at least had her, I knew that I would be safe. And so, and the other roles, um, when I was writing the script, I was watching this TV, this show on Hulu called Casual and Evan Crook's character is on it, and he's not in it a lot, but there was one scene where he said something and it made me have this flashback of the guy in high school. And so while I was writing it, I just couldn't stop thinking about Evan, and so I thought the more I wrote, the more all of a sudden Evan visually, aesthetically turned into Evan Crook's. And so I was like, I think I have to get this kid to do this part, because I can't imagine anyone else and it turned out that I was starting to write it for him which is like probably something I shouldn't do <laughs> and then just by I mean luck I mean I, I don't know maybe he really loved the script <laughs> I had reached out to a friend and I had said I need to get this script to this this kid oh, yeah, I don't know how to do it I've never worked with a casting person before I've never worked with a casting agent or a casting director I don't know how to contact managers or agents. Yeah. I don't do that stuff normally. I usually like, just... I find people on Facebook, but... I, I did. Well, one of the <laughs> actors, actresses in there I found on Facebook. I put a... Yeah. I usually do my own LA casting calls and I do all those auditions myself. And so somebody of somebody said, hey, I have... I know a casting director. She'll work with you. She's really... Karina Walter. She was really wonderful. And she had... When I went through this list of casting directors that people sent me, I saw that she had actually cast a show that he was on. So I thought at least there was that connection. So she was very lovely and she said, I'll get it to his manager. And then like two days later, she said, he's in. Wow, he's, that's cool. As long Probably as it can be done in like this comes. kind of time frame, which fit the time frame because at the time the Bureau was saying, we need it by this date. So everything became really snowballed very quickly and um and christine she, who plays meadow she came through a casting as well and um meadow's my best friend in real life and so that was the i didn't care if the part of melissa or the part of cole or the other characters were not who they were in real life but the part of meadow was very special to me even though i change the character quite a lot the, the 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 essence of meadow had to be there and so i got sent like 30 girls and their tapes and christine had come in and she had actually read for the part of melissa and so when they told her no no wrong part you need to read for the part of meadow she there was just something about her smile and weirdly about her hair which is, no one's gonna find that amusing except for Meadow. <laughs> uh, I said, 
she just had this kind of essence about her that reminded me of the real Meadow, even though the character of Meadow is just so far from who she really was. And then when I got Melanie and Christine together to read it, they were instant like best friends. Mm. And so I was like, okay. That's a good sign. That's a good sign. I, I didn't mess that up too bad. The rest of the parts, I just, I found a girl on Facebook to play Sarah and I did castings for the guy named Brian, um, his name is Anwar. And he just came into my house. He had such confidence and such like, he was just so cool. And I was like, oh my God, he's so cool. Like, <laughs> he just had like a leather jacket on and it was like a hundred degrees out. I and mean, he wasn't even sweating. And I was like, kept turning my air conditioning on and he just read the part and he was funny. And he just was a nice guy. And I was like, I really got to cast this kid. And the part of Matt is played by Sterling who is a really good friend of mine and who he looks like the real Matt. And he has this kind of really lackadaisical attitude in real life, like the real Matt did. And he, he's older, and I thought, he's not gonna pass as a high school kid. So we had to write a line in that said that he had already graduated. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so, but he lives in Idaho, and I just called him up and I was like, I really wish you lived closer so that I could have you in my movie. Hint, hint, and then he's like, I'm in! And he drove 14 hours, wow. and then the next day he was in the movie. So he had no acting Makes experience, sense. really. Yeah. And he, but I just said, just be yourself. Don't, don't worry about the words on the page. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so this would be a great time to listen to a clip from the film, if that's okay with you. Yeah. Um, I'm going to pull up a piece here. This is a conversation between the two main characters, Cole and Melissa. Seems like a legit plan. Yeah, I like it. What about you? Um, I have no idea. I don't really have that many options, but as soon as I get out of here, I am never coming back. Not even for family? Have you met my family? No, like, not even for reunions or holidays. Like, reunions? Yeah, so that we can all sit around and, like, pretend that we're friends. Half of these people, including you, aren't even my friends now, so why would we suddenly, like, become friends at some reunion. Nostalgia does weird things to people. But like, nostalgia really isn't like a good enough reason to come back. Okay, so I mean, people listening home, you don't get to see the visuals that go along with it, but you can sort of hear. They will when the movie comes they, you out. You will when the movie comes out. You can hear it. It just feels like realistic. And in this world that I describe, which is where there are short films that have good acting and short films that don't, how much rehearsal did you have with these guys? And they're delivering all these lines, and I have your script in front of me, and it's pretty close to the written word. It's not like they're improvising. They're tweaking things. So talk to us about, did you rehearse with them, and how did you work with them on the text? Well, I actually didn't have Evan and Melanie rehearse together. I, I didn't want them to. I wanted them to meet. Like, we, they came over one night, and we hung out, and I wanted them to meet just to see, like, what that chemistry would be. But I purposely did not want them to rehearse together because she, it, it, I didn't want them to be comfortable around each other. I didn't want her to be comfortable around him, especially because she's not supposed to be. She's this is the boy that she's had a crush on for four years of her life, and all of a sudden she finds herself alone with him, and that's and she's already this very socially and sexually awkward person. But she's also you know she's a smart girl. She can have a conversation, and the things that they're talking about are are, are things that were real and authentic, I think, for any kind of teenager about right before they're getting ready to graduate. 
And, you know, especially if you grew up in a small town. I mean, I grew up in two small towns, and the only thing anyone ever wanted to do was get out of a small town. It wasn't difficult for me to write those words because this is exactly what I felt. And I think it's probably not difficult for them to say those words because I wrote them so well. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> write them really well. Yeah. They are good at their jobs. I mean, acting is a job for them, but I also feel like, I hope that I feel like I wrote something that is pretty universal, which is this feeling of when you're kind of about ready to go out into the world as a so-called adult, and you have this feeling of like, well, I don't have anything figured out, and I'm supposed to, so I'm just kind of, just go out there and figure it out, which is what I hope everybody has that kind of experience, because that's what I'm writing about. I'm writing about this idea that here we are, we're going to graduate high school. Everybody seems to have a plan except for me, but really no one has a plan. And, and so I, I think just that authenticity of, of what they're saying is actually in the way that they're able to act and deliver their lives. So, so great is because I'm hoping it's because they are able to draw from personal experiences themselves. I'm very happy with them. They did a great job and they're so beautiful, it's gross. <laughs> um, but they just played each off each other really well. And so I think they had the right chemistry. I was very lucky. I'm just very lucky. I worked with them separately. Like I'm I'm a really oh. I'm very weirdly about this. I make playlists, like musical playlists for all my characters, and I kind of give those to actors. And then I write a backstory to them and who they are, oh. what books they would have read, what movies they would have saw, what, what they would have been into. And they both got those lists so that they knew who, who those characters were to like help them along with their own decisions that they've made and their own choices that they've made. So backstory is really, that, that's something important to you. And that's... I do it with all my films, yeah. I make sure to, it's, a, it's just something, it's, it goes along with the lookbook. There, I have a character book and each character has to have, I want to be able to allow the actor to mine from that and kind of allow the actor to shape and mold themselves, but still stay within the world. Like the world to me of who those characters are comes from me. So I need to be able to present, here's the world that you live in. I want to give them enough to help them, you know, make the, the, the decisions and the choices that they're making as an actor at, will at least come from that world that I've created. I hope, I think. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> With a short film, you have such little time, but uh, so it's like your actors almost have to yeah. come in even more prepared because they have less time to convey fully complex character yeah. on screen. Yeah, and because of this is, you know, based on me, it was a way more easier to do, and, and, and these characters are people that I know, or versions of people that I know. There's a little fudging in there, some of those sure, Of course. So, you know, there, there are stuff that's not in the film that happened. Um, so it was like, hey, hey, Evan, here, listen to this song right now before you go shoot this scene because this is the song that was playing on the car radio when this happened. And that hopefully will give him an idea. But I, you know, there was conversations about, I need you to make a decision. And that decision you make is going to determine the way you play this character. And I need you to make the decision by this point of the movie. 
and then I'll let you know if you've made the wrong decision. <laughs> what was your set like keeping in mind this sort of intimate acting? Like, was there a type of production that you kept that facilitated these kind of intimate performances? Especially in the scene we just heard, for example. Like, what, what was the behind the camera looking like at the moment? How did that play into your strategy? Behind the camera, there was very little people there. <laughs> I don't like working with the big crew. I think the smaller the crew, the more intimate the production is. Like, especially for a scene like this, that is kind of intimate. If there's not stuff going on in the background, for me, it feels more believable that I'm actually just being a voyeur and watching them. But, um, you know, we've, you know, with short films, you have a lack of budget and you kind of compromise and you just do the best you can. For me, this film was never about, uh, you know, high production value or it was never about what my locations were gonna be. I needed a parking lot and I needed something that had lights because I couldn't afford a big lighting package. So I needed, you know, something with practical lights. And um, this place was just, uh, they were nice enough to let us have it for a very cheap, cheaply. And so I didn't want a lot going on in the background because I feel like there's so much going on in the scene between them that that was enough for me. So. And so what kind of stuff did you tell your DP to do, for example, like during this scene where there are two people talking, but you know, it's definitely got this handheld feel. It does. I'm and very, there's some interesting yeah. cuts, I'm you know, very, not just cutting yeah. face to face. There's some other places that the camera wanders. Like, what did you tell your DP and how did that fit yeah. in this? So Pedro and I, this is our, I think our fourth film that we've done together. He's, he's wonderful and he's good at everything he does and he makes everything look great. And it, we had a tough time on this one because I specifically didn't want everything to look great. Hmm. I wanted it to be this kind of raw and... I wanted it to be, you know, my references, poor Pedro, poor guy. My references are like, hey, Pedro, can you make this look like 1990s grunge? <laughs> and for a guy who doesn't listen to 90s grunge, he's like, what? And so I start all my projects off with, um, you know, here's my inspiration. Here's my, look at this beautiful photograph or look at this film. And I did that with this one. I knew that I wanted handheld because of the limitations of budget and the limitations of time. And I, we had not really shot stuff with handheld before. And I just knew that I needed a very small crew and I needed, I took into consideration what my limitations were. And I also knew that I wanted it to be handheld because it is about socially and sexually awkward teenagers. And I feel sometimes that handheld is a little awkward. And, um, but, I, you know, I, I kind of like flaws and stuff like that. And I needed there to be some flaws. I had watched a, a wonderful movie called Six Years by Hannah Fidel. And I had said, I sent that over to Pedro. And I said, can you just watch this movie? This is kind of what I'm going for. And then he came back after watching it. And he was like, well, what about the lighting in here? And what about da-da-da-da? No, 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 just look at the camera movement. <laughs> That's all I want you to look at is the camera movement. And so once he kind of grasped what I was going for camera movement-wise, then we sat down together and there were five emotional beats that I needed to have in this film that were very important. And those five emotional beats were the ones that we actually blocked out. So those were the ones where I sat with him and said, we discussed like how the camera would move and where it would start and where it would end and on what line it needed to be where. And, and then I showed him like reference and my reference is like the weirdest reference at all I would be like hey you remember that scene in E.T. <laughs> I need that here 
and what it represented to me, it worked. And so for this, this was a scene that was referenced for um, this horror movie, actually. <laughs> so it's so weird. Uh -huh. <laughs> this is a horror movie reference, and then there was like an E.T. reference. So those were my, my blocking references for camera. <laughs> so weird. No, so, that's so yeah. interesting. So, you know, you had the five points all along the way, and in between there, maybe a little bit more... I knew exactly what I want. I, it's, you know, I guess that's my job as a director, to have a vision and then be able to tell everybody this vision, and right. then their jobs are to help me achieve that vision, I guess, for lack of better phrasing. Yeah. Sounds really pretentious, but... Um, it's okay. We're, I, we're I, wearing berets right yeah. now, anyway, so... <laughs> oh, phew. Um, <laughs> I knew exactly what I wanted it to feel like and to where the emotional, the emotional beats were. And I knew in order to get there, I had to do this and I had to do that. And I'm usually like an A to the F to the G to the Yo, you know, like I'm all <laughs> over the place. And I luckily have found in Pedro that he understands that chaos. What about how many takes did you do? Did you have the actors do a lot of takes? What was important to you? And then in the editing room, what was sort of your strategy? How did you edit, depending on how many, what kind of take type stuff you shot? We didn't do a lot of takes only because a lot of these um, were such long takes and such long shots and oneers, yeah. and it, they kind of go on. And so, and that was by my request. Like I said, I knew what I wanted. Um, I just would hope that everyone who was working with me would know how to get me there. <laughs> yeah. And so I, so there wasn't a lot of takes and they were prepared and they knew their lines and they were really great. And we would do quick blocking with them before going, okay, you guys, as long as you end up here at this time and here on this point, that's going to work out with my blocking that Pedro and I have done together. And everyone was very patient with me. I get, a, I tend to talk really fast and cause I know it's a time constraint. And so when we actually got into the editing and I sat down with Jeff, who, like I said, he's normally not an editor, he's a director. And he, he had said, I'll, I'll help you. I, know what you. I know what you want it to be. And, and I said, I wish you could edit it for me. And he said, I'll do that. He edits his own stuff. He's like, as long as you're okay with the DIY of editing, cause, which is you know, my background being a DIY filmmaker and not knowing technically. And so it was great. He flew in and the problem is, is we had like four days to edit it. We, neither of us, had an editing program. <laughs> so we got like a seven day trial period. Nice. And we basically like day one, he came back that night and like looked through all the dailies. And then day two, after we wrapped, we came home and we started editing. And he was like, I'm gonna have to be honest with you. I, I don't know what to do here. You have to lead me. And so one of the things that was really great for me, this experience is, while I really think filmmaking is a collaborative experience, I still haven't really had a, um, a true collaborative experience. Um, and Jeff is the same way. He does everything himself. So he, so this was the first time he's actually really collaborated. And I've never sat in with an editor. I usually just pass everything off and then they oh. come back like a couple of weeks later and say, here's your first cut. And then I give notes. I'm incredibly scared of post. And so... <laughs> And this time you sat in on that it like sat that. right here in my studio, which is where we are right now at this desk on that computer and said, okay, we have seven days to figure it out. And um, I knew how I wanted it to start. And I knew based on the stuff that we got, what I had and it, you know, so I said, this is how I wanted to start. And then once we started it, 
he was able to, we just talked, we talked a lot about it. We would go, what does it mean if we have the camera, if we have this cut? What does that say about who, this character and who and whose point of view is this? And just we really talked a lot. And it was amazing to me to have somebody who was passionate about film and that liked the project, but also knew what I wanted, like, because he had, he had, he knows what the feature is about. He, he knows the, what, what's inspired by it. He knew a lot just from our conversation. So I would say, oh, let's try this. And then he would do it. And then he would say, okay, this is great, but let me argue for why we should do it this way. Or let me, or I wouldn't like something. And then he would say, well, let me argue with you why it should be this way. And we worked, like, played really well off each other for like four days straight. We would be up till four in the morning. We, and he got incredibly sick. He had like 102 fever and oh, no. was on all these medications. <laughs> and I was like, you just drink more whiskey, you're fine. And then, and then he got on a plane back to Seattle and I was like, oh my God, what am I gonna do? But we had like a cut by the time he left and kind of sent that cut out. And people were like, oh, is this your first cut? We edited it to how we wanted it. The version that you've seen is pretty, it's 90% what the first cut was. We both knew that we didn't have a lot of time and we both knew what, what was needed to get it. Rather than go through various iterations of it, I knew exactly like why something had to be this way. And he would then put it that way. And then if it worked, it worked. And if it didn't, we would discuss why, what wasn't working. And so it was great. It was the best experience I've ever had with editing a film. Keeping in mind sort of the relationship with, between how you shot it and then how it was edited, I think let's, let's play a clip from the beginning of the film with Melissa and Meadow. Let's take a listen to that. She's on some romantic weekend getaway with Gary. Hmm. I'm trying to rekindle the romance or something. It's not gonna work though. He's got the personality of a convicted pedophile. <laughs> That's so gross. He's kind of creepy. He's totally creepy. Yeah. And always stares at me. Ugh. Shh. Hi, I think someone's here. Maybe it's Gary. No, seriously. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> what are you guys doing? Yeah, What's going why on? are you guys making? Uh, shirts versus skins, isn't that how you guys play? I started this whole conversation about the believability, you know, the performances, but really it's sort of just like the believability of the whole film. And, you know, it's, just, it's not just the performances, but it's just how you move the camera and how you edit it. And so this is just like a really simple scene, you know, where you've got two characters by themselves, and then suddenly there's a shift because these boys show up. And that's sort of something that I feel like is the shift between the intimacy of two people and then multiple people, and that comes out throughout the film. So just like, can you break down for us, for example, how did, did you storyboard a scene like this out and how did you decide how to shoot it and, and how did that fit into this overall strategy of the moments and you know, five beats throughout the film? Yeah, this is actually um, one of the beats. What happens is- I picked is, a good one. <laughs> Meadow and Melissa are friends and there's, what happens before the guys arrive is there's, it's just showing for me anyway and a lot of, we're letting guys into our world that us girls, we're very intimate when we have our conversations and it's, it's not supposed to be necessarily in a sexual way. These are just two girls that are best friends having a conversation about like what's going on in their life sexually. One of them is a little bit more experienced than the other. And so when the guys arrive for me, 
this is what I spoke to earlier about my reference for ET. This is actually, I just ripped off ET. <laughs> <laughs> what was important for me to establish was that even with her friends, she's still an outsider. She still feels, you know, slightly out of the, the group. So how the blocking worked was it was important for me to be able to show that there's intimate and then once with they're in a group, she's still on the outside of the group. And the camera movement was very important and the blocking was very important. And, you know, we worked with the actors in this sense, like, hey, guys, when this happens and these guys come out, Melanie, I need you to be here and I need you guys to be here. And that was just the extent of what we needed them to do for, for acting blocking. With Pedro and I, we actually sat down. I, sh I sh had my husband, who is a storyboard artist, storyboard out something quick of like where the, our options of where the camera could move. And then we, I showed him the scene in E.T. where it's at the beginning where they're all in the kitchen and they're all playing the games at the table and um, they're ordering the pizza. And Elliot, no matter where he stands, he's somewhere, he's always on the outside and I needed, and so there's something different about him. And I remember as a kid seeing that and feeling like Elliot and being like, you're so close to being part of a group, but you're not quite, even though you're like, hey guys, let me do that for you. And I, and I still feel that way. I still feel that way all the time where I'm almost part of the group, but never quite. And so I actually, when I had rewatched that movie recently with my kids and I had saw that scene and I was like, yes. And then my husband even was like, we were kind of looking through this film book and that's, that kind of scene was referenced for something. And I was like, yes, that's it again, that's a sign. And then so, um, and I'm glad you brought it up because this was, it, it is one of my favorite scenes. And it's actually even Jeff, the editor said, I really like how you blocked that. What was your reasoning for blocking that way? And that was it, like she's just this outsider, always this outsider, she doesn't fit in quite anywhere, which is exactly like how I felt in high school and how a lot of kids in high school feel like you don't quite fit in, even with your friends. You're not, there's still something you're not quite sure about. And so that's where that came from. Mm -hmm. the, the movement of the camera is no matter where you place that camera, she's still outside of that group. That's fascinating. It you made know, me cry. <laughs> little, like a few seconds into this scene, there also starts to be sort of crosstalk between uh, the groups the girl, um, Melissa, talking to her friend Meadow, and then the boys talking to each other. And I couldn't help but notice that it seemed like, I don't know if everyone was mic'd, but you were hearing very clearly. It wasn't like, shh, yeah. shh, and then the main dialogue. I and know. so, Poor does Kirby, that. our sound woman, she came and she's like, I just want to let you know. And I'm like, I'm totally fine with it. For me, it's, it falls in that line of, well, this, it was a happy accent. They were all mic'd because, but also at the same time, is people always talk over each other. I talk over each other all the time. You keep talking over me during this interview. <laughs> so bad, so rude. So no. why wouldn't two dudes be in the background talking and occasionally, like, I have that thing where, like, I am constantly listening to what other people are saying, even though I'm having a conversation. And so, and I think a lot of people do that. Like, I can hear what people are saying behind my back. Yeah, I can hear, and I, I feel like I needed her to be able to to even though her friend is like saying, come on, you know, you want to go, come on, this could be our last party. The guys in the back are going, dude, that girl never goes to parties because like that's, I felt was an important part and I didn't want to take it out. I don't want to mute it. I don't want it to be there. That even 
everybody knows like who this girl is and what her personality is and I don't know. I just like stuff like that. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I'm winging the whole thing. Like. <laughs> no, I liked it. I was like, it's like Altman, like you can hear, but it was important because, like you said, and it affects the characters because you can hear what other people are saying. It's just and... a little bit tad more about who she is yeah. to the audience. Like, wait, what did that guy say about her? And what's really great is she actually doesn't say yes. She's going to the party. She literally, like, they don't give her an opportunity to say yes. <laughs> they just, she's like, ah, I don't know. And then her friend's like, yay! And everyone's like, yay! She's like, oh shit, I guess I'm going. Yeah. You know, the last thing I'll ask you, I mean, you mentioned this feeling of being an outsider and how, how that's based off of your some of your own personal experiences. You know, as an artist, as a filmmaker, does having a quality that where you are often feeling a little bit removed or as an outsider, is that quality something that lends itself to filmmaking? Is that something that's informed your, the actual aspect of you being a filmmaker? Or? You know, I can, I can never speak for anyone else. I can only speak for myself. And I know that for me, kind of growing up and feeling a little bit of an outsider and not feeling quite where to fit in or how to fit in. It's, you know, I, I always knew early on, like, when I walk into the room, I'm never going to be the smartest person in the room. I'm never going to be the funniest. I'm never going to be the best looking one. And so who, what, who am I in a room? Who was I going to be? And I could never figure that out or find I still don't know. I still feel all those things. Um, I gravitated towards the people who felt the same way, who themselves probably were a little bit on the outside. I would not have made it through high school if it was not for skateboarding. Um, it is the, the one thing that my whole entire filmmaking and film and photography started from skateboarding. I started skateboarding, that community of people and that family of outsiders accepted me. You know, I was like the only girl. I was like this weird girl who skated. I had like all guy friends. I had pink hair. I wore boxer shorts to school. Like who does that? <laughs> Me. Um, and then from there, being able to photograph them and film them. And then from there, taking that film and then translating that and just moving forward with that skating community to film community, it, it benefited me. It was, it was for the first time going, oh, here are people who have these same feelings and emotions and confusions and frustrations as I do, and they're able to release it through these creative outlets and, and do it in a way that I understand. And so filmmaking has allowed me to still stay that kind of weird, quirky, unique girl and be okay with it. And, you know, and hopefully somebody else out there is able to watch something that I've done and go, God, that was weird, but I kind of liked it. I feel like it lends itself in a creative way to have a little bit of outsider and like toughness to you. I think so. I mean, for better or worse, it's clearly giving you a some certain quality of the cinematic eye. So it gives me an escape. So that's I keep doing it. I'm a glutton for punishment. <laughs> I keep doing it. I can't skateboard anymore, so I guess I'm sticking with films. <laughs> Well, it's been a great choice, and you know, I mean, the film is really great. It'll be exciting when people, when, whenever, can watch the full thing because I really enjoyed it. Oh, thank you. And I can't you. wait to see what you work on next. I can't wait to see what you work on. Uh, next. Me too, but let's not get into that. But I, and especially if this becomes a feature, I would, I would easily rent it on iTunes for four to six ninety nine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much, Melissa. Great work, and we'll thank keep you. our eye out and see where your career goes from here. I peaked. It's all down. <laughs>
So we really hope you enjoyed that interview. I love hearing about filmmakers' process and, and how they write and how they work on set and how they go about editing, um, especially when they are as naturally talented as Melissa is at uh, at filmmaking. So that was, again, Oakley Anderson Moore and Melissa Fitzsimmons talking about Melissa's film, That Party That One Night, which uh, you can watch right now on the Bureau. I think it's pretty clear from the conversation that it's a very personal project for her and we feel very lucky to be even a small part of it so please do go to the bureau and watch it and twitter at us instagram at us any way that you're comfortable letting us know what you thought of the film it's really exciting to hear people's feedback and to know how it affected them i'm rambling and we love you please send us letters with (laughs) your stories of your lives tell us your life story because i love letters because paper is great and trees make paper <laughs> oh my god I relate to Melissa because our significant others are always telling us to wrap it up which I think is unfair <laughs> if you're so good at wrapping it up then wrap it up thanks again for listening we can't wait to share the next short film with you you have to say that I love you wait to <laughs> Be good to each other. Peace out.